Hello, my lovely wannabe entrepreneurs. Welcome to another late night show. I say late because it's already 3 a.m. where I am seated at the moment. I'm a night owl. You already know this. You know me better than I know myself. <laughs> Very emotional. No, but I mean, we've been talking for already, what, two years? I actually just uh, noticed that it's been a year since I started practicing Muay Thai, which was one of my goals of 2022 to find a sport that I would be able to do regularly. And I did. I did find one, Muay Thai, and I've I feel that I'm better at it, uh, not by a long mile, but, you know, I feel more flexible, my kicks are better, my sparring is better, and, of course, it's always a great way for me to exercise, because if there's something that I've noticed is that being an indie hacker can be quite lonely, and even though I have a co-founder now, which definitely helps, it's still a very kind of lonely endeavor, right? So I, I used to work in a bigger company with my colleagues that I got to see every day, and now I am basically see nothing, you know? I'm at, at my home, you know? And yeah, it, it's I've been doing this for, or rather working from home for, what, since before COVID really, or since COVID. So it's been already, I don't even know, three years or three and a half years or four years, I don't even know. So yeah, it gets a bit crazy. And uh, recently, one thing that I've done that actually helped a lot is to institute the office day. Basically one day per week where I go work from a co-working space. And you might think that this would be easy to implement because we are making money now and I have a co-founder, but not really because my co-founder is a kind of guy that never wants to leave his place. So it took me a lot of convincing to get him to join in, in into this office day. But yeah, I think for me, it feels good. I want to get more indie makers uh, and, and create a little bit of a team, you know, where we could just go and, and work from, from this place. And we found a really cool co-working space, very indie. There's actually a pool, which is crazy. Hopefully tomorrow we'll get to test it. Uh, but yeah, it's really nice. It's And it's open 24-7, which is uh, really unique. Most co-working spaces are not. So Sean and I, again, night owls, both of us, we just like to work until like 10 and then go and find some good um, restaurant where we can just go and eat. So, yeah, and we tend to be quite productive, actually. We tend to be quite productive uh, last week. I don't know. It's it's weird because, actually, let me know what you think about. Is remote work more or less productive? I think it really depends on the type of work you're doing and for how long you are doing it. I don't know if you um, ever experienced this, but... Normally, when I back in the day when I had actually to go to work at a specific time, I would use an alarm clock. I still do. I still use alarm clocks, clocks, <laughs> clocks, obviously. But I guess they are not so strict uh, unless I have a meeting or so. They are not so strict. But back in the day when they were strict, I, I don't. I, I just it was really hard for me to wake up. I would just hit the snooze button. And I found this alarm clock where I could record a message 
to myself in the future. So if I had an important meeting or if I just wanted to maybe arrive a bit earlier to the office, I would just record myself saying, hey, Tiago, wake up. You you want to do this, so just don't let your sleepy uh, personality to just drag you down. And funny enough, that worked. That actually worked really well for the first week. Yeah, in the first week, I was excited. You know, I would go to, to bed and, and think, hey, is this going to work? And it did. But then I just got used to that. I got used to that and it stopped working and I just stopped using it. And the reason why I'm saying it is, is, is because it's kind of the same with remote work. Like when you first move from your office, you know, working with others around to your remote work uh, home office, it works really well. There's no distractions. It's something new. You are excited and you get more shit done. However, after two years of doing this, you will find your distractions. <laughs> yeah. You'll find your YouTubes, your Twitters, your emails, whatever you have on your desk. And your motivation starts going down because, I don't know, I start to, to realize that I, you know, most of my time uh, is spent working and most of my working time is spent at home. So I never leave my place, which is a bit sad. But then when we went to this co-working space and we were there together, I don't know, it felt that it was easier, the communication was easier, we were more productive, at the same time I felt more social, we got a bunch of meetings done, things were like just going along, cruising along much faster, it was so much easier. So I don't know, I think maybe, um, and again this is controversial, but maybe the best balance here is to have an hybrid mode or an... You know, you could just still keep your freedom. So let's say you want to go travel, you want to do something else, and you just you don't need like to go to the office. But it's it's good to have the option. And one thing that Spotify does, which is really cool, at least they were doing uh, back in COVID times, is that they have people spread all around the world, but then they rent co-working spaces so that everyone, let's say, that is in Amsterdam they can go and work from there. So I, I find that concept really cool. And I don't know, in my opinion, this is a great way to um, to organize your company. Yeah, so tomorrow we're going to do that. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Tiago, you are a social guy. You are an extrovert. I wouldn't say that I'm social, but I'm an extrovert. You know, that classic definition that I get energy by socializing by being with others and then joins the opposite is an introvert so how does that work like uh, it's been already what three months that we are working together in this project the honeymoon phase is over how are you um handling this i guess that that's your question or i'm assuming it is and i have to say so far it's been really good uh i think it's not easy to find a good co-founder. And I have had my share of uh, bad co-founders uh, with a lot of frustration. Once you have one bad co-founder, it's like the project is dead, to be honest. Like while you are working together, the project is dead. Because you don't feel confident. You don't feel it's not fun. It's a drag. 
you don't like it and um yeah you just it kills your motivation so i was always very cautious when i started this in journey to bring people and one one rule of of thumb that i tried to follow is you know some people would sometimes say that they would want to help but what i always tried to do was to give them a task that was not very high priority a task that i could live without it's a nice to have so that way they will never never kill my productivity my motivation and if they do something cool great and i get to evaluate them that way withdrawing is different because i've known him for a long time and i've known him as uh, an entrepreneur actually i don't know if i think we told this story before but for the ones that didn't hear that the fun, like the way we met was I was basically doing one of my first projects, like this like shitty website using PHP. I was basically figuring out figuring out how to you know code and and make web websites and and I I made this website and and then what right I, I didn't know what to do next how to make money how to get people to use it and, and etc and. I opened this magazine because back then entrepreneurship was really trending and I saw João in the cover. I was like, yeah, a young entrepreneur creates these vertical um, farms and stuff like this. And I was like, wow, that's cool. So I just emailed him, you know, because back then and still now I'm, I'm I just send emails without thinking too much about it. There's people, João being one of them, that take a lot of time to write emails and they just, I don't know, they just want to be perfect. I just don't care. I just send the emails. So I sent him an email and he answered back. And since then, we have been exchanging ideas and helping in each other's projects for like 12 years or so. It's crazy. But yeah, so I knew that he had the drive. I think drive is really important, especially when you're starting out. It's really important to have drive, you know, that you want to figure things out, you want to do things, and for sure he has. Like, he has learned how to do all the front-end HTML, CSS, and he didn't know that previously. So he's, like, learning a lot. So that's really important, he has that. And then you need to have a personality, like, you need to match, right? Like, because I'm the kind of guy that I can be really stubborn sometimes, and that's a bit annoying. Uh, for the things that I care about, there are certain things, like, a lot of things I don't care, and... Um, but for the things that I really care about, I have a particular way of doing things and I can be really stubborn. I, I think that's also a quality for me, uh, because without that, I don't think I would be here in this position, you know, being an indie, indie maker, but at the same time can be annoying for people around me. So yeah, he, he's able to deal with that really well. Uh, he's very chilled. He doesn't care too much. Uh, he allows me sometimes to take the shots, which is something that is really important for me. So yeah, I think we have a really great uh, relationship. Um, and um, of course that's, you know, it's still, <laughs> it's, we're always talking with each other and we are very close and, you know, at some point, there, of course, there's times where we get in, into each other's nerves, for sure. Um, there's a day where, I don't know, for, for instance, now it's like super hot, right? It's super warm outside. And that just affects your mood. And then you, like, we have no boundaries, right? So we just, you know, we get upset with each other. 
we are a little bit more strict and things that are definitely unfair, but we do that because, you know, every day we are working with each other. We also have some disagreements sometimes in, into things that we want to do. It doesn't happen too much and we are able to solve it, but I don't know. Um, for instance, he, he does not believe too much in this idea of business partners uh, that I'm trying to pursue, right? Where uh, we, we give 40% commission to people that want to be kind of market representatives of PodSquiz. So he doesn't believe in that. And so, yeah, sometimes that can be a bit annoying. Uh, and it's the same for, for, for me, right? There are certain ideas that he has that I don't really like or support. And yeah, that can be frustrating. So yeah, we need there, there's a need for compromise. Like everywhere, like in, in any relationship, right? You need to compromise. So that's basically it. We try to compromise and we, we I think it's important to try to put ourselves in each other's shoes because, uh, I know, I'll give you an example. So we recently figured out something uh, that is a bit tr troubling, which is our churn rate is actually quite high. So after researching a little bit on Google, the churn rate for SaaS should be around 5% per month or so. But ours is in the 20s. Yeah. So that's very high. You know, 20% of our users drop every month. And we kind of ignored that for a while because I assumed that Stripe was not doing the calculations right. Uh, but then, yeah, I took some time to really dig into that and I realized, yes, our churn is quite high. Uh, turns out that uh, after asking around, a lot of AI products have very high churn, which is interesting, I guess, because of this whole trend and everyone wants to experiment with AI. They think AI will change their lives and then they realize actually it's not changing their lives. And they end up dropping. But yeah, so... I don't know. So the, we were like figuring that out and that got us a bit annoyed and worried, you know, because uh, we think that if we stop for some reason to have new users coming in, our product will die quite fast. And at the same time, a few people were like complaining, you know, there are these days, I don't know why, but there are specific days where people just use the support chat more than other days. Like most of the days, like today, there was almost no messages, but some days, like three or four people come and complain that something doesn't work, that affects your mood. And then I was also working some other task, you know, a task that really required focus, you know, coding task. And then suddenly Shwell gets, you know, a little bit anxious and he starts seeing all these messages of people complaining. He's thinking about the churn. He's like, Tiago, we need to fix this. We need to fix the product. This is really important. And I was like, hey, I'm working this task. He's like, no, this is really important. He's like sending me voice messages. And I can really see that he's, upset and then I, I i i get upset as well because i think like come on like the, let, we should not stress for these small things because i'm now focused and this is nothing super prior like important and yeah i got a bit upset as well uh not not upset but i got a bit annoyed and then i tried to make this exercise of like okay let me put myself in his shoes because you need to trust that i i, I trust him and i know that he wants the the, our product to succeed and he knows that the same from me right so i don't think you would sabotage the product on purpose I, there's probably a reason why he's anxious about this and yeah i start to think about it and i try to put myself in his shoes and i think okay he's not a developer uh he never worked in in a product like this a tech product 
So he's a freelancer, a designer, but he never worked in the tech product. Like for me, I know this. I know that uh, when I worked in the startups, in the tech, like there's always bugs. There's, and if you're a developer, you probably understand this. There's always this trade-off, this running discussion where developers don't want just to fix bugs and P PMs want you to fix bugs. And like, where is the trade-off between building something new and basically fixing bugs? Yeah, but he's not aware of that. And it just gets him anxious because he cannot code himself. He was even like thinking, maybe I should learn for sure. But yeah, so he just wonders that it's something to do with our product. Our product is just not good enough. And he also made a very valid question, which is like, hey, we built this in two weeks. Why is it taking so long now to build small features? Uh, which I answered that for every new feature that you bring, you need to maintain it, right? So you bring something that works in, let's say, 60% of the cases, but then 40% it doesn't work. And you improve it so that it works in 80% of the cases, but there's always people complaining. So yeah, when, when I tried this exercise of putting myself in his shoes and understand, like, it was so much easier as well to communicate with them. So we just said, hey, uh, this is, I explained as well that this is normal, that this happened in multiple companies before when I was working there, that, you know, bugs were normal and we needed to come up with a system to prioritize things. Like, uh, I don't want to say Scrum because we're just two, but like something like that. So we have our Trello and on, Mo on this Monday we're just trying to prioritize everything we wanted to do and all the tasks so we know what we should focus on. And we try to agree upon on the things that are really prior, right? So only if the website is down or something like that, we would actually stop whatever we're doing to fix that. Yeah, so that's the kind of things that happen. I think in general, very, very positive, super bright guy. And I think uh, we have a great team. We're just two of us, but we have a great team. And I'm sure that if we expand the team, I, I need to find more people like him, you know. Um, but yeah, I just want to be honest here. And there's, of course, low points as well. But I think that's normal, right? And I think it's important to talk about it. I think it's important to put ourselves in each other's shoes. And to solve the churn problem, uh, we came up with the solution of basically asking our users what was going on obviously. And uh, we also now have a, a form where before you cancel, you need to just like give a reason why you're canceling it. So yeah, hopefully with that data, we'll be able to like further analyze. And I think it, it's been a mix of a lot of things. Um, two people said that they found um, basically Buzzsprout, which is a big company that also hosts podcasts, also offers now like the possibility of creating timestamps and this kind of stuff. And they just decided to use that instead of us, which is a bit worrying, right? Um, some people had some problems. Some people just, they like the product, but they stopped their podcast. So they had to stop. So there's a multiple reason. There was nothing completely, I feel that there was nothing connected to the product in itself. Um, yeah, a few complaints, but nothing too much. I think it's just a lot of different reasons. But now we have the information and... Uh, yeah, how do we feel about that, right? How do we feel about having high churn and knowing that people are going to the competition? I have to be honest with you. It's a mixed feeling. Like, um, it's been two years since I started doing this. Two years. So I'm, I'm feeling a little bit dumb 
to all this uncertainty. For me, this is my lifestyle. This is my life. This uncertainty is part of my life and I it doesn't affect me too much. So if for some reason the product dies tomorrow, which won't happen, but if it just starts dying, I'll just start something else or do some freelancing or work for someone. I don't know. I'm okay with that. I'm really okay with that. Um, of course, that at the same time, I don't want to make bad decisions and I want to keep this growing. And I was asking as well to a bunch of people, like, what should we do? Like, what, what should be the next steps? Uh, and I talked a bit about that in the past episode. Like, can we keep on bootstrapping? Shall we raise money? Um, yeah, for some reason, it seems that we're in the perfect position to raise money because we are making money already. So it's easy to somehow uh, show this to the investors. But yeah, in the other hand, like, I don't want to do it. I don't know if you understand this, but I like to live life in my own terms. That's also one of the reasons why I'm indie maker. So if I bring other people along, I guess this pressure will just increase and I don't have pressure. I want to have fun. Yeah, so we are thinking about this because in the same time, again, we have these competitors growing and we have platform risk and we have all of this. And I, I can only think about what happened with Twitter, right? I had I interviewed Luca about it and you, you saw how sad he was about basically losing his project. And recently there was a really good newsletter from Tony Dean uh, Tony Dean, I interviewed him in the podcast. You should definitely listen to that interview, by the way. I've learned a lot with him. But yeah, he built Black Magic, which is a tool for Twitter, and it was making already 16k MRR, which is really good. Like in about two years, he, he reached that, and or even less. And he actually got a, an offer before this whole Twitter uh, scandal thingy for I think half a million which he turned down, which is crazy. I mean, alpha million is really, really good. But yeah, at the same time, he wanted to continue, but then there, were, there, there was this huge platform risk, which was exploited to his maximum. Like, I mean, this is really worst case scenario, where basically Twitter gets acquired by Elon Musk and he's like crazy, completely crazy, and destroys Twitter and comes up with this crazy price where companies would need to pay 40K a month to use their API. And then he was very stressed. He didn't know what to do. There were a bunch of options, but one of them, I guess the most logic one would be to sell it. And he sold. He sold the company, but he didn't sell, sell for Alpha Million. He, he sold for, I think, 120K dollars, which is good. Uh, but it's really also not really good because it's actually less than his ARR. When you you sell a company, normally you think about you know five times your ARR, so and and annually, annually, sorry, recurring revenue, uh, or ten times even, but for less, that makes no sense. You know, it's it's a it's a shitty deal, I think, in my opinion, because you end up selling, uh, and and the the companies, the investors will get their money back in at least a year, right? So. Yeah, I I didn't like this. Also, the company that acquired is Hype Fury, and I I got a bit annoyed with them because when this whole thing around Twitter was happening, they were just kind of uh, trying to get all the clients. So they they trashed Tweet Hunter and they say, "Hey, Tweet Hunter users," because their their license was uh, taken down for you know a few hours. So they immediately tried to poach all the 
their clients. So I didn't like this. Yeah, so I was a bit surprised because, yeah, it's really low. Plus, it will still work for them for one year without salary. So you need to discount that. Um, in the end, it was saying that with the project in total, so including all the money it was able to take from the project, plus the sell, it was able to make around $330,000, which is amazing. I mean, uh, it's really good. It's life. I don't know. Here in, in Europe or in, in Lisbon, at least, you can buy a flat from, from that money, which is really good. I guess he's living in Vietnam, probably things are cheaper, so it's really good money. Um, so it's definitely considered a success, not saying it's not. But at the same time, it feels that, you know, uh, it ran short, you know. Uh, now, do you think this was a good decision? I would love to hear your thoughts. Do you think it was good for him to just sell? and Because he, have other, he has other projects. Or do you think he should have, like, taken another route? Maybe negotiate a better deal? Or uh, one thing that FitHive did was to give the possibility for users to, their, to use their own API key. Um, of course, that, that would mean a cut in their MRR, but I don't know. Would that be better? Uh, yeah, I would love to, to get your thoughts on that. Uh, just send me a DM on WB Tiago. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful world, this indie world, uh, this indie community. The more I am part of it, the more I'm excited about it. Uh, I feel that this is a much better way to conduct business. Um, no, no so, not so much connected with like, so like the, um, this capitalism. Like w w when we see what happened with Twitter, it's pure capitalism. And, and I hate this that one person can just acquire a whole platform because he can and he, he just damages everything and ruins a bunch of business because he can, because he has the money. Yeah, I don't think this should be legal. This is really unfair. So at the same time, this kind of money, this kind of thoughts comes as a consequence of this capitalist society where we just live around money and people that have money can do whatever they want. And it's okay to do certain things for money. When you are an indie hacker, it's different. You think more about your users. You think more about you making your money, but without, you know, owing money to others. It's such a, it's more pure. And I'm not saying that this works for every product. Of course, there's products that require investment. But at the same time, there's a lot that don't. And... I, one idea that we are, I'm kind of bouncing around is to create an indie hacker conference. I think it would be super cool. And the idea would be to indie hackers to meet each other, have a couple of people come and, and give talks about their experiences and, and great tools. And I think Lisbon is a great place to, to do that. So I might do that. What do you think? Would you join? I would love to, to hear your thoughts on that. I think, I think it would be cool. At the same time, I don't, I don't, I feel that I don't have any capacity to focus on other projects. I, I feel bad because the community, I'm not, well, I'm still, of course, participating on it and I work on it for a bit, but there's a lot of things that I should do more that I'm not doing. So like most of my focus is on pot squeeze, which is okay, but makes me wonder what will come in the future. Will I start other projects? Will I just focus on pot squeeze? I don't know, something for me to think about. And yeah, that's it for today's episode. 
I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share with all of your indie maker friends. There's a lot of interviews as well, uh, interviews that from with people that I've learned a lot from. So make sure to go and check it out at wb or wannabe-entrepreneur.com/episodes. If you want to join the community, it's a community for indie makers. You can meet people, you can exchange ideas, and you can support this podcast while doing that. It costs ten dollars per month, and the links will be in the show notes. This was another wannabe entrepreneur. See you next time. Go to bed tomorrow, co-working space, office day, baby.